verses 13 to 16, as we continue in our summer series, Wisdom from Above, studies in the epistle of James. James chapter 3, verses 13 to 16. Put your finger there and then turn to Proverbs chapter 3. And we're going to come back to James right now. But turn to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13. In the Old Testament book of Proverbs, we're exhorted to seek after wisdom. Proverbs 3.13 says, Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds, speaking of wisdom, for her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand. In her left hand, riches and honor. Her ways are, are ways of pleasantness, and her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. And then flip over to Proverbs 4, verse 7. 7 through 9 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she will promise you. Excuse me, she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. She will deliver to you. And then as you look in the New Testament, we are exhorted to walk in wisdom. Ephesians 5, 15 to 17 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And now we come here into James chapter 3. And we're going to look at, we're going to learn that there is more than just one kind of wisdom. There is an earthly wisdom and there is a heavenly wisdom. This is what this whole section from verse 13 through verse 18 in James is dealing with. Earthly and heavenly wisdom. You're going to look at that tonight and next week you're going to get the positive section of that uh, with uh, Mike Rocha when he shares next week. But For the person who was born again, the person who has given his or her life to the Lord, you come to know that there is a wisdom that is heavenly, which is a a true wisdom from above, and there is a wisdom that is of the earth, a worldly, a false wisdom. Example. Before I gave my life to Jesus, the only wisdom that I knew, if you can even call it wisdom, the only wisdom I learned and functioned by was worldly wisdom. It was from the world. It came from drawing my own conclusions apart from God's word because I did not have God in my life. I wasn't born again. 
And it was also influenced from friends and relatives who impart, who would impart to me all this crazy worldly wisdom. Things like men don't cry. Don't let her wrap you around her finger. Make sure you get even. Don't work so hard. Just do the minimum. Just because you're married doesn't mean you, have, you can't look at the menu. Those were the types of things. That was insane worldly wisdom. And people apart from a real relationship with Jesus Christ, they function under that type of wisdom every day. There are many who attempt to develop wisdom through human reason alone. But then I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And when I became a Christian, I became what the word of God describes as in Christ. This describes that wonderful relationship when a person has given their life to Jesus, the person is now in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30 describes this new life. It says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So for the born-again believer, we now have that wonderful opportunity to order our lives with God's wisdom from above guiding our lives. God's wisdom is an incredible resource for navigating a straight course through all of life's different circumstances. But the question we need to ask ourselves tonight is, are we seeking the wisdom from above? Or are we functioning in worldly wisdom? What kind of wisdom is being lived out in our lives? This is the concern James has in this passage tonight. This is why he's giving us this sharp contrast that exists between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom that God gives. And he's encouraging and challenging the church to live by, to grow by, and to draw from God's wisdom. And don't forget James' whole concern in this letter is to stress the importance of manifesting our faith in Jesus Christ through the way we live. The book of James, it's an outward call, or it's an outward demonstration to inner faith. 122 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. James, throughout this epistle, He's been giving us a series of exams, a series of tests to, to, to examine us, for us to examine if we're, we're, there's really genuine Christian living. In chapter 1, he said that saving faith can be seen in how we respond to trials. Then he said that saving faith can be seen in how we respond to temptation. And then he shared how genuine faith can be seen and how a person responds to the word of God, the test of obedience. In chapter 2, he shared how a person responds to needy people, to needy people as a test of our faith. 
And then at the end of chapter 2, James is basically saying that saving faith is manifested in righteous works. Then in the first half of chapter 3, James tells us that genuine faith is revealed by the way we control the tongue. And now we come to the examination of wisdom in our lives. If a person has genuine saving faith, it will be manifested in his or her life by the wisdom of God in our lives. In our Christian walk. James in this section that we're going to look at in the next two weeks is giving a sharp contrast between the two wisdoms. So that the church can examine to see which of the two kinds of wisdoms is guiding our lives. Tonight we're going to look at the negative like I said. Next week you're going to look at the positive. Let's read the, pa- uh, the passage here. Verses 13 through 16. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So in tonight's passage... We're going to look at the call to wisdom from above, verse 13. The disapproval of earthly wisdom, verses 14 and 15. And the end result of earthly wisdom, verse 16. The call to wisdom from above, verse 13. James begins with a probing question. Who is wise and understanding among you? This question is a challenge to those reading this letter to consider, to examine, to examine themselves whether they are he or she is wise and understanding. And James' question, he's not implying that no one is wise, but he is challenging the church to self-examination. It's similar to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examining yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. The word wise in the Greek describes a person who lives in agreement with the insights given by God. But not only agrees with the insights, but is skillful in his or her living because they are applying God's insights. They're applying God's truths. It includes knowing right from wrong and making wise judgment. Wise judgments about what God considers proper. The truly wise person is not someone who just possesses intellectual knowledge, but someone who has godly insight and applies it in the practical matters in daily life. There's a lot of very smart people around. But that doesn't mean that they possess wisdom. There's a lot of people who have accumulated a lot of knowledge through schooling and experience, but it doesn't mean that they are wise. James is talking about having God's wisdom and applying it. 
being skillful in know, knowing how to apply God's word and, and principles in all the different situations that we go through in life. God's wisdom is greater than intellectual knowledge. Proverbs 3, 7 exhorts us, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is that foundation. It's the beginning of wisdom. Because then you'll have that, that reverential awe of God. And you'll have that, that heart desire to walk in a way that is pleasing to Him. That's the foundation. At the end of Solomon writing Ecclesiastes, sharing throughout the book of how the futility of, of, of human effort, he concludes with this statement. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen and 14. A wise man fears the Lord and is seeking to be obedient. Recognizing that there's a judgment that is coming. So wisdom begins with the fear of God. And the person who fears God, he aims towards, he desires to live a life of good conduct. Notice James qualifies the term wise with the word understanding. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Understanding is used to describe someone who possesses skilled knowledge with deep perception and understanding. It speaks of a person having great spiritual insight. A person who considers everything carefully. The King James Version renders it endued with knowledge. And the two words, wise and understanding, they complement each other. They go hand in hand. True wisdom is based on understanding. It's the ability to live in a manner pleasing to God because you understand His truth. You get that spiritual insight from the Word of God, from His truth. And you live in constant submission to God's Holy Spirit through that. Applying that truth to your life. Wisdom. So what James is saying in verse 13 is, who is really living their life from God's angle? Who is receiving and applying spiritual insights given by God through His Word and Holy Spirit? And notice, James is addressing the church. He's addressing all believers. He says, who among you? He's calling the church to examine themselves. Who among you? He's basically saying, you guys, if you claim to be wise, demonstrate your wisdom in the lifestyle that genuine wisdom produces. It's going to reveal your character and your spiritual condition. James not only asks the question, but he gives us direction for the question. Look at the second half of verse 13. He says, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. 
James says, let him show. The person of wisdom and understanding is to let it show. In other words, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then let it show. Let it be a testimony to the world that you possess Jesus Christ and his spirit is living inside of you. And you're functioning with God's wisdom in your life. Let him show. It's it's worded as a command. Notice the word good here in verse 13. Good conduct. Let him show by good conduct. The word good, it means lovely, beautiful, attractive, or excellent. And conduct can be translated as lifestyle. Or could be translated as behavior. It can also be translated as activity or movement or even action. Conduct here, it's more of a broad overview of our life. So James, putting this together in essence, is saying, if you claim wisdom and understanding, show it by your lovely lifestyle. Show it by your attractive activity. Show it by your good behavior. Don't just say you have wisdom. Demonstrate it. Let it show. Prove it. Confirm it in your daily conduct. Wisdom and understanding that are not demonstrated in right conduct shows that a person is lacking in spiritual value. If there is a wise and understanding person among you, James is telling us, he says, let him demonstrate it in his or her life. The manner in which we conduct our lives, it's a good indicator of whether or not we possess true wisdom. As James continues, notice what he goes on to say. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct. And he says now that his works, he's, he's zeroing in into more specifics now. You have general good conduct. Now he says that his works. getting more specific works there it speaks of deeds our doings our labors our actions he's now addressing more specifics in the daily life the particulars of life the individual actions and what James is basically saying is that if we have the wisdom of God functioning in our lives It not only changes our overall behavior, our overall conduct, but it specifically changes what we do. God's wisdom is to affect us in a way that we conduct our our business, the way we conduct our social life, the way we treat others, the way we run our home life. God's wisdom is to affect us in all these ways. And it is not only the way we conduct ourselves here at church, but the way we live throughout the week. (coughs) We got to be careful because we can come across real spiritual for an hour and a half here at church. But where the rubber meets the road is in between that time. Behind closed doors with other people. How we conduct the, the, the conduct of our affairs of our daily life. 
The display of our faith is to be shown by good conduct and our specific works are to be done. Notice now what he says here at the end of the verse. In the meekness of wisdom. Meekness is a, it's just a, a wonderful quality that wisdom produces in a wise person. Meekness is expressed either towards God or tro- towards other humans. Meekness of wisdom carries the idea of a wise and sensible gentleness of life that has power under control. One person put it this way. He said, it is not a spineless gentleness. It is not a sentimental fondness. It is not a passive quietism. It is a strength under control. Characteristic of meekness means to be under control. And for the believer, it means to be under the control of God. R.C. Lenski, the Greek scholar, describes meekness as the lowly attitude of a heart which is full of gentleness and mildness toward others, the opposite of arrogant self assertion and ruthless domination. Meekness is a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. It descri- it's described in Galatians 5.23 as gentleness. It's a character trait that God honors. Godly wisdom will show in meekness, not arrogance. I have met a lot of people who think they're wise, but in reality they're really arrogant. There's a lot of people who think they know everything, but they're really arrogant. And what James is telling us is that if we have the wisdom of God, it's going to show itself in an attitude of meekness, not arrogance. James had earlier admonished us in, in chapter 1, verse 21. Remember when you guys studied that, he said, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness an overflow of wickedness and receive what? With meekness, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Think about that. What a, what a promise. What a, a reward for the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Our Lord used the word referring to himself. When he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. That's the word meek and humble in heart. Matthew 11, 29. So what James is indicating is that wisdom does not just show itself in our conduct, but it shows itself in the meekness of our conduct. And above all this, James is saying that the test of our walk, our saving faith, is not just in our overall conduct, which he covered. It's not just in our specific actions, which he talked about. But it's also now in our attitudes. That's what he's talking about here when he refers to the meekness of wisdom. So you have our conduct, our actions, and our attitudes. In verses 14 and 15, we have the disapproval of earthly wisdom. James continues, he says in verse 14, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. 
This wisdom, verse 15, does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. Bitter envy, self-seeking, they're the opposite of the meekness of wisdom that we just talked about. Bitter envy and self-seeking are just, they're these ugly forces that draw us into earthly, worldly wisdom. Envy. It means to be heated or boil over with envy. It is a hostile emotion based on resentment, which is heated or boiling with envy, hatred, or anger. The word envy actually means zeal. In the word of God, we sometimes find this word zeal, envy, used in a good way. Paul used the word in a good way in 1 Corinthians 12.31 where he said, earnestly desire the greater gifts. Earnestly desire is the same word translated here, envy. Be zealous, be envious for the best gifts. It's used in a good way there. But in our context here, uh, in James, zeal is used in a sinful manner. Envy. It can manifest itself when a person has intense negative feelings over another person's achievements or success. It's like the article I once read that said, LA's newest mental health epidemic, a rather nasty, debilitating little bug known in psychiatric circles as CPE, Cell phone envy. The disease overview describes the nagging feeling that your friend's phone can do much more than your wretched little device. (laughs) How come his phone is nicer than mine? How come he can take that better picture than I can? How come his ringtone has the theme from Star Wars and mine has a dumb horse? (laughs) The article went on to say, the treatment, not much you can do. By the time you wait for your current contract to end, you sign a two-year deal and fork over the cash and your new feature-laden cell phone will be hopelessly outdated, putting you back in the same situation. And you know, envy can be as dumb as this. Or it can be as serious as news reports where we hear every week of murder because of envy. It happens all the time. The Bible tells us that envy put Jesus on the cross. Matthew 27, 18 says, For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. Crazy. No one is more miserable than someone filled with envy because it robs them of a real happiness and joy. Proverbs 14.30 declares, A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bone. And as God's people, as those who are filled, or those who are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, And God's agape love, we are not to be envious of others' accomplishments, their earthly possessions, 
their positions, their spiritual gifts. Titus 3, 3 and 4 says to us, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hating, hateful and hating one another. That's the way we were, you guys. That's the way we, we used to be before we gave our lives to the Lord. And then he says in verse 4 of Titus 3, But, and I love that word, <laughs> It's the change. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. That's the born again experience. The new life in Christ. Old things pass away. Behold all things become new. That's the change. We are no longer to live under that. It's ugly. Notice James qualifies envy with the word bitter here. Bitter envy. This intensifies this description of envy. Bitter in this context means biting, intense, severe. So you can express this as a heart full of intense envy, a heart full of having severe, a heart severe with envy. And James goes on to say, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking, Self-seeking speaks of a a motive of self-interest, greedy interest, selfish striving for advantage. Carries the idea uh, behind the word is is canvassing, selfish ambition, going after something, scheming, intrigue, strife. The same word is listed in Galatians 5.20 as the works of the flesh. It says idolatry, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions. In Philippians 2.3, here Paul uses the same word where he admonishes us. He says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. That is, that is only God can do that. <laughs> To get to that point, though, is, man, can you imagine? Esteeming others better than ourselves. Paul's contrasting selfish ambition with humility. And what he's doing as a caution, he's trying to get across that we should not attempt to do anything from selfish striving, greedy interests, selfish ambition. It's not the principle that God's people are to be governed by. There's many ways that we can display this kind of selfish ambition. It can be displayed by using your intellect in a wrong way to get one over someone. It can be displayed using sinister schemes and plans with a spirit of rivalry or anger. It can be displayed by trying to outdo another person or put them down by showing that we have more talent or we know more. People sometimes try to outdo others by the way they dress or the things they own. Even in in, in ministry and in serving, people sometimes try to outdo others with a heart of selfish ambition, trying to get in with the head of a ministry or they come across as more spiritual than they really are for selfish reasons. 
Things like that is wrong. It's carnal. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3, 3, For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Don't compare yourselves to others. That, that really helps with all of that. God has you where you are. We are only to be what God has called us to be. And what is our main goal? It's to glorify God. Selfish ambition is not a way to do it. Notice James lets us know the problem of bitter envy and self-seeking. is It's not external, but notice what he says. So, uh, he says it's in our hearts. Do you see that? He says if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, that's where the real fountain is. This is where both bitter envy and self-seeking are tucked away within the motives of the heart. It's the inner feelings a person may have that others don't know. They're not publicly known. But God knows. God knows. And James gives us an important warning at the end of verse 14. He says, do not boast and lie against the truth. In other words, don't celebrate, don't triumph in your heart. Because sometimes people get to the point where they enjoy living with that kind of heart. They like getting the best over people. They like being ugly like that. And if we're living our lives with bitter envy and self-seeking in our hearts, then our actions are giving lie to the truth that we profess to be living by. We're deceiving ourselves. We're lying against the gospel. We're lying against the saving gospel. And what James is doing here, you guys, is he's trying to take a, he's, t- he's challenging us, he's calling us to take an inventory of our hearts. Take a look at what motivates us. Look at our hearts. Is it motivated by what is God honoring? Is it motivated by God's love, by humility? Or is our heart motivated by self and bitter envy and selfish ambition? We are not to be self-deceived. We're not to lie against the truth. But allow the truth of the word of God to examine us and to change our hearts. I think Steve said last week, we, we go through all this, but do we read it? Do we continue in it? Do we let it get in us? Are we being transformed by the renewing of our minds? In verse 15, James tells us that bitter envy and self-seeking are a counterfeit wisdom that is actually not wisdom at all. Notice what he says. In verse 15, he tells us that this wisdom is earthly, sensual, and demonic. What are the three enemies of the believer? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Do you see the parallel here? Earthly represents the world. Sensual represents the flesh. And demonic represents Satan. Our three enemies. Earthly has the meaning of belonging to the earth or shaped 
in men upon the earth. Its origin is down here on earth. It's a product of man. It's not God made and God given. It's the opposite of wisdom from above that verse 17 tells us about that you're going to be looking at next week. It's worldly. It takes into consideration the philosophies and practices of the world system. You see this in modern psychology where they tell people that they're inherently good, that goodness is within us. Or you are kind, you are good. (laughs) You know, that mentality. I don't know why I thought of that. You know, and all we need to do is develop these qualities and everything will be right. You see this in the way this earthly wisdom in the way marriage is being changed from what it was supposed to be or what it it used to be. One man, one woman. You see it in the way man is transforming who they really are to becoming whatever they want to be. And this actually falls under all three categories, earthly, sensual, and demonic. Romans 1, 21 to 25. I'm sure you guys have been looking at that late nowadays. It, it says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Then he says, professing to be wise. They became fools. Earthly wisdom. The true wisdom that is taught in the word of God is something that is found outside of man. It's not of this earth. It's something that comes from above and is beyond the physical world. You have to be born again to receive it. And the point I believe James is trying to make is that the believer is not to rely on the world's wisdom to make a wise decision. We have that incredible resource up there to draw from. God's wisdom. Paul exhorts us in 1 Corinthians 2.5, says that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The next source of, of wisdom not from God is the sensual. Earthly, sensual, it literally means animal-like. The wisdom of the natural. It's referring to the natural, that which is controlled and mastered by the fallen nature of man. which That which appeals to the sensual part of man's nature, his humanness. It's the opposite of spiritual. It gets its origin from in man's nature, totally apart from the Spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 14 and 15, it declares, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things. Sensual, false wisdom. It it, it encourages a person to seek the immediate gratification without any thought of the consequences or or, or any consideration. The difference between this wisdom and wisdom from above is that wisdom from above seeks the Lord and His wisdom 
and would notice and it perceives and it, 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 it makes decisions. It watches the path that, is, that you're leading before you take it. Sensual false wisdom just goes by the feelings, by impulses. The appetites of fallen, corrupted mankind. Don't we see that in this day and age all over the place? In our movies and in, in, in TV and, I mean, just crazy stuff. Uh, when I was doing this, I thought, they're flipping the channels and there's this, this guy, there's this show, a reality show where this guy's lost in the woods but he's naked. It's like, why? <laughs> why? Is this, why are they, you know, he's going to get hurt. <laughs> I mean, jeez. And people are, in, you know, just whatever, do it. You know, false, your feelings, your appetite, your impulses. Demonic, the end of verse 15. James tells us that this kind of wisdom has a demonic source. Demonic, having an evil spirit, demon-inspired, not from God. It's out-and-out out deception on a spiritual level. In the Garden of Eden, Eve was deceived by the devil. Remember what it said? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree... Desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And then she gave to her husband. The atom bomb happened there. That was a lie. Satan always promises wisdom. And he always promises that you will know and be in the know and understand. But we're not to fall for those old tricks. Paul reminded the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 2.11, and it should be a reminder for us. He said, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We know that the devil will try to deceive us into following the world's ways. To follow after the instincts of our own natural self. But let's not give him the victory. It's put on the armor of God. Let's not give in to the schemes of our enemy. Not to be deceived by Satan. Not to walk in the way of the world. We're no longer to indulge in the desires of the flesh and the mind. In verse 16, we have the end result of earthly wisdom. It's the fruit of all this ugly wisdom that James has been talking about. Look at verse 16, he says, For where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. Confusion. Confusion means disorder, instability, chaos, unrestrained anarchy, both in society and in the individual mind. We see that happening now, don't we? The same word is translated commotion. In Luke 29, where our Lord is talking about the end times, he says, but when you hear of wars and commotions, that's the same word, confusion. Do not be terrified. These things must come to pass. The same word is used in chapter 1, verse 8 of James here. 
referring to the effect of of double-mindedness. He says, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That word unstable is the same word, confusion. The word is also used in chapter 3, verse 8, referring to effect of an uncontrolled tongue. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly, same word, unruly evil full of deadly poison. Paul uses the word in 1 Corinthians 14.33 where he sets it in contrast to peace. He says, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. A person with earthly false wisdom, envy, self-seeking, bitterness, he, he won't think clearly. He's especially not going to think spiritually. A person loses love because earthly wisdom is proud. It's self-seeking, self-serving, self-indulgent. It, it, it destroys intimacy. It destroys unity. It destroys fellowship. It brings conflict. It brings chaos, confusion. And don't you see this happening all around us in our society? Anger, bitterness, lawsuits, divorces, people unable to get along with other people, destruction, devastation, division, no ability to love, no intimacy. No real fellowship, no harmony, no peace. And our world is going to get worse and worse as we move toward the unavoidable day when Jesus Christ returns. That's the result when God's wisdom is not happening. That's the fruit of earthly wisdom that we see going on. And you know what's awesome is, you know, praise God, all of us here, we represent a remnant, you know. There is a remnant. There is a restraining that's going on still here. Can you imagine once we're taken out of here? It's going to be crazy. We think it's crazy now. Also, James tells us that where envy and self-seeking exist, it's like a spiral now. He goes, confusion, and then notice what he says there. And every evil thing are there. Instead of giving this long list of all these specific things, uh, he just says that every evil thing is present. Righteousness will be absent and every evil thing will be there. Evil means every worthless thing, every wicked thing, every morally base, vile thing will be there. So you go from confusion, disorder, instability to every evil practice. The wisdom of the world, the flesh, and the devil may be able to accomplish all kinds of things, but always with the ultimate fruit of confusion and every evil thing. True wisdom, you guys, begins is from above, and it begins and is centered in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians one twenty four. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And guys, we have the word of God to teach us, to instruct us, to transform us. The purpose of God's word is to help the believer live out his or her life by the understanding of the wisdom of God. If you go through Job, if you go through the book of Psalms, if you go through Proverbs, gosh, right there, just in those books, you have an incredible wealth of the wisdom of God. The origin of true heavenly wisdom is God. 
Job 9.4 says, God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and prospered? The God of the universe possesses infinite wisdom for us to draw from in our lives. Psalm 104.24, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. Proverbs 3, 19 and 20 says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By knowledge, by his knowledge, the depths were broken up and the clouds dropped down the dew. Romans eleven thirty three. 33, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. I share these because I want us to realize the marvelous wisdom of God that we have available to us. Because God's wisdom can provide for us what man's wisdom in its best can never provide. But the important thing to realize is that the wisdom of God is always related to a person's relationship to God. Allowing him to change us And as a result, living out our daily lives with his wisdom. Remember James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Who gives to all liberally and without reproach. Our God is a great God of wisdom. I pray that we would pursue this wisdom he gives. I want to end by uh, reading Job 28. If you can turn to Job 28. It's just, I just blew my mind when I saw this time relating to the, this uh, passage here. In Job 28, he shares how wisdom cannot be purchased. Wisdom is nowhere in the universe except with God. He shares how, how precious metals and gems are found in mines, but not in wisdom. No bird or man has seen wisdom's path. But wisdom is nowhere in the universe except with God. Look at verse 1 there. He says, Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches every recess for ore in the darkness and, and the shadow of death. He breaks open a shaft away from people in places forgotten by feet. They hang far away from men. They swing to and fro. For as the earth, as for the earth, from it comes bread. But underneath it is turned up by fire. Its stones are the source of sapphires and it contains gold dust. That path no bird knows, nor has the falcon's eye seen it. The proud lions have not trodden it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. He puts his hand on the flint. He overturns the mountains at the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams from trickling. What is hidden, he brings forth to light. But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value nor is it found in the land of the living. 
The deep says it's not in me. And the sea says it's not with me. It cannot be purchased for gold. Nor can silver be weighed for its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir. In precious oinks or sapphire. Neither gold nor crystal can equal it. Nor can it be exchanged for jewelry of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or quartz, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where does this, this, then does wisdom come, and where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living, and concealed from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say, we have heard a report about it with our ears. God understands its way, and he knows its place, for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees under the whole heavens to establish a weight for the wind and apportion the waters by measure. When he made a law for the rain and a path for the thunderbolt, then he saw wisdom and declared it. He prepared it. Indeed, he searched it out. And he said to man, and to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Isn't that awesome? Amen. I mean, oh my gosh. That's the wisdom we have to draw from, you guys. Man apart from God cannot get true wisdom. There's nobody in the world that can find it apart from God. There's nobody in the world who truly understands it apart from God. True wisdom comes from God. And it can only be known to those who pursue him. And God's wisdom is available for us here tonight, you guys. He can give us the wisdom we need for all the areas of our life. He can give us the wisdom to obey Him. He can give us the wisdom we need to make the right choices every day. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Lord, that we have you, Lord, you, the God of wisdom, the God who creates real, true wisdom. Help us, Lord, in the days that we live in. Help us in our daily life, Lord, our walk behind closed doors, our family, our finances, every aspect to draw from your incredible wisdom, Lord, through your word, through your Holy Spirit. Father, please go before us. We need you, Lord, for you alone have the words of eternal life. So, Lord, thank you for my brothers and sisters here. Continue to minister to us all. May we glean from you in time of need, Lord, with these scriptures and something that was shared here tonight, Lord. We love you. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. 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 Amen.